Well, we're in the final paragraph of Galatians today. Thirteen sermons you've heard now if you've been here. If not, you can go back and get them online. By the way, when I walked in today, the notes were already gone in the middle section, and so it means a bunch of you grabbed them, I guess. But I hope you got paper notes if you needed that. The notes are also available online if you'll go to our app, and you can check sermon notes, and you can follow along right there on your phone or uh, your tablet, whatever you have with you, and God knows if you're playing solitaire. Hallelujah. So uh, keep your focus in the right place, and let's hear from God's Word today. The book of Galatians is this word that is very strong, very terse, very harsh, even at points, because Paul is so concerned uh, that, that legalists, are going to lead the Galatians into a wrong place of understanding. You know, one thing I've discovered in life and in study of history is that God gives us good plans, good directions, and then we always look for ways to cheapen it. So instead of having this full-on commitment of our life to God, we start looking and go, well, is it okay to do this or is it not okay? And where does the line go? And how far can I move towards sin without really being in trouble? And we look for ways to kind of circumvent the relationship with God and we bring it down to a set of rules. The rules may be good, they may not be good, but we, we're always missing out what God has for us when we when we trade a relationship for a set of rules. The relationship will cause those rules to be in effect. But the rules will never create the relationship. And if you start there first, you're going to be in big trouble. If you have the right relationship, you know, that, that, that's why it, it's such a big deal when they come to Jesus and they ask him the question, of all of the commandments, what is the greatest one? And they're all hoping to justify themselves. That's typically why we ask questions of God. Because we're trying to justify ourselves. You cannot justify yourself. Only Christ can justify you. So they come to this place, they go, what's the greatest commandment? You remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. Love God with everything you got. Give him your all, heart, soul, strength, mind, everything. Love God. And Jesus goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says this, and if you do those two things really right, really well, if you get those right, relationship with God, relationship with my neighbor, then everything else hangs on those two. Those two are the foundation of life for everything. So the Galatians had leaders who were leading them astray. And we get to the last paragraph, as typical of the day, Paul had a, 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 a scribe, someone who would take his words and transcribe them as he was speaking and write down what he said. He gets to the end, he says, give me the pen, I want to write this myself. Verse 11 of Galatians 6, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what that means, and I don't think most of it merits time in today's service. I think it's apparent this, though, that he's wanting to put his own personal stamp on this letter and say, this really is from me. Look at what I'm writing. It could be the large letters mean, like for us today, I'm typing in all caps. 
How many of you know when you type in all caps, that means you're shouting? I'm typing in all caps. That's basically what he's saying there. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation." And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul comes to the end of this chapter. By the way, I don't always um, give these kind of forewarnings, but if, if sermons had like a rating category like movies do, I'm just telling you right now, today's would be rated probably strong. It's going to be a strong word, and I'm taking what Paul says, and we're looking at that, but it's not some easy three steps to be more happy kind of a day. It's the word of God confronting us when we allow our human flesh to become stronger than it needs to be. And the desires of the flesh to become the goal for which we aim. And there's some strong words that Paul gives here. And in my reading right now, it may not have captured you completely, but I hope that it captures your heart before we're done this morning. So I'm telling you up front, I know this is a little bit of a strong, maybe possibly harsh message in some ways. But it's done totally in love and to bring you to the right place with God so that you can have all of the blessings he intends you to have. Now, this letter has continually made a contrast between counterfeit and true Christianity. Paul shows the difference between living under the law and living under grace. And they are diametrically opposed to each other. They could not be more opposite. The law was given so that man would see his sinfulness and understand his need for a Savior. The law called for man to do something beyond his ability and to look to God for help and strength. When you live under the law, you get bondage. But when you live under grace, you get liberty. When you live under the law, you live according to the flesh. But when you live under grace, you live according to the spirit. When you live under the law, your life is self-centered and you live to please self. When you live under grace, you're other-focused. And Paul brings here a fourth comparative, and he compares living for the praise of men or living for the glory of God. Now, Paul preached a Christ-given righteousness, that we're made righteous because Jesus gave us righteousness. And it happened through his finished work. The false teachers of Paul's day here in Galatia, they preached a works-based righteousness accomplished through human performance. This would make Paul a Christ-exalter, and the false teachers would be self-exalters. Faith in the work of Christ on the cross is a spiritual dividing point that reveals the futility of human effort. 
you have to understand this. To the human nature, the cross is offensive. What is it about the cross that, that causes anger and reaction? And I'm not talking about you wearing one around your neck or even the one we have out in front of our building or, or, or the symbol of this. I'm talking about what that represents. It is ironic. I heard someone after we had built our building, uh, I didn't hear it personally, but it was re re related to me what they had said to someone else. They said, ah, oh, what's wrong with that church up there that they have to have such a big cross? I thought, well, there's nothing wrong with us, but we're going to glory in the cross. We're going to glory in the work of Jesus. But there's something about the cross that creates anger and stirs up hostility toward those who proclaim the cross. You, you know what it is about the cross that human flesh si finds so distasteful? Is that it names us as sinners under the righteous curse of God's law. That we are unable to save ourselves. You know, one of the um, occupational hazards, I guess, if you will, of being a pastor is that you attend a lot of funerals and preach a lot of funerals. And I don't remember any time being in a funeral when the speaker got up and, and really exposed the reality of the person who had passed away if it was evil. I got to be honest, I don't do that either. I try to look for other things to say and not mention a whole lot about character, a whole lot about lifestyle or their commitment to Christ. If I don't know that, I leave it in God's hands. And I try to talk to the people who are in the building. I get that. But it's amazing the good things that we say every time we come to a funeral about a person that we would have never said in any other position. Because we don't like to admit that we are sinners who deserve the judgment of God. And if a good person passes away, and, I, and I, did, I do this sometimes at funerals, if I say something like this, this person did not make it to heaven because of their goodness, there are people who almost gasp in the eyes like, oh, what? No, I can't make it to heaven because I'm good enough. You won't make it to heaven because you're good You cannot be that good. You make it, no matter how good you are, you make it to heaven because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The flesh is corrupt. The cross tells us that, that we are worthy of death and the curse of God being placed upon us. Christ bore our sins and our curse because that's the only way we could gain release from it. If we could have been forgiven because we were good enough or kept the law perfectly, there would not have been a crucifixion. But he had to die because our flesh fails we look at Jesus on the cross, and we'll do that at the end of the service momentarily. And as we look at him, it seems if he's saying to us, I'm here because of you. It's your sin I am bearing. Your curse I am suffering. Your debt I am paying. Your death I am dying. Nothing in all of history, nothing in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. Here's the reality, as much as we hate to admit it, we all have an inflated view of ourselves. It's truth. 
I can ask you how many of you think you're above average, and probably every hand on the room will go up. We're better than most people, a lot better than some. But the reality is, without Christ, we are failures. An inflated view of yourself, especially in the area of self-righteousness, will bring destruction. And it requires a visit to a place called Calvary. What does it look like when we see the cross in our human, from our human perspective? We see the humiliation of God having to die for us. And we would prefer to think that we're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. Let's just forget about it and pretend that it's all right. Many in the world want a Christianity, but as long as there's no cross involved. It's okay to have as a necklace. It's okay to, to have in certain places. But don't talk about the theology of the cross. Don't talk about Jesus dying for us. Why does the cross make such a negative impact on so many people? Because it inflicts wounds on our pride. Let me give you three thoughts about the cross real quick this morning. Number one, the cross exposes the motivation of the legalist. It's in your notes there. Let me give you the points real quick. I'm going to move through this kind of fast to, to give us a good time frame. Legalists are primarily concerned with appearance. Look at what it says. It is these legalists who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Their biggest concern is how does it look? Did you get the right angle? Did you take the picture right as my hand hit the apex and everything is perfect? Snap it now. I need the good look. I need the appearance. I have to present myself as being something that, that people will, will be proud of and want to emulate. Legalists are concerned about appearance. Can I tell you there's nothing more worldly than trying to make a good showing in the flesh? Second thing about legalists, they're demanding and their expectation of others. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that? The people who expect a lot from everybody else but themselves. Look at what it says. They would force you to be circumcised. The legalist comes along and tells you 14 things that are wrong with your life, and you better straighten out or, or you're not going to make it. Meanwhile, they're not examining their own life. Legalists avoid negative consequences even at the cost of the truth. It says they do this in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Legalists are hypocritical. They do not themselves keep the law. Legalists are arrogant. They desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Now, this won't, appeal to, this won't apply to many of you, but it applies to me and maybe a few others like me in the room or who may watch this video later. But the reality is if we're not careful as church leaders, that's exactly where we can find ourselves, where our motivation is skewed and we're more concerned about how we compare with other people and how do we rank in the district and how does our church compare to the one down the street? God forbid that we would allow comparison to be our motivation for what we do. Why are we concerned about taking the gospel to every country of the world? Because there are people that need Jesus. And it doesn't matter how that compares or stacks up with anybody else. There are people who will do more than us and people who will do less than us. But we're going to do the best that we can because we're doing it for Jesus. It's not a matter of how we compare with other people. 
God deliver us. Legalists are, are arrogant. They boast in everything around them. Second thing, the cross reveals the heart of Paul. Paul refused to brag about anything other than Jesus. The power of the cross. You know, when you look at Christ, if you've been involved with, uh, depending on your background, if you're from more of an ecumenical kind of church especially, they tend to do a better job with this than we do in the charismatic Pentecostal circle or whatever. But they talk about the, the wounds of Christ, the wounds in his hands, his feet, and his side. And uh, Paul says, I'm going, to, I'm going to find glory and boast in the power of the cross. When you look at Christ, the wounds of Calvary certainly marked him an identification of who he was, of his sacrifice, of his generosity, of his suffering for us. It's interesting that the Judaizers boasted in circumcision, an act of the flesh, but Paul boasted in a crucified and risen Savior. He gloried in the cross. As you read through Galatians, Jesus is mentioned at least 45 times in this letter, meaning that one out of every three verses has a reference to Jesus. That's pretty good right there. The person of Jesus captivated Paul. And it was Jesus who made the cross glorious to him. But you have to understand that if somehow we could gather up the early disciples, the apostles, and transport them to today, and they walk, would walk around and see all of the things that, that are, are in our culture, they, they would surely be amazed by the iPhone and all those kind of things that we have and whatever. But the one thing that might amaze them more than anything else is seeing people wear crosses around their neck. Because the cross was a sign of humiliation. The cross was a sign of, of, of shame and weakness. Paul said the cross is a stumbling block. That it's a place where people trip and fall over it because it's not characteristic of greatness or power or strength. We know it today because of what Christ did for us. But in their time, it would have been seen as the ultimate symbol of humiliation. Paul said, though, that what was the stumbling block became the very foundational stone of his message. Paul approached, his approach to life is radically rocked by his view of the cross. Look at what he says there. He says, I will boast in nothing except the cross. And he goes on to say, that, say this, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says the cross has resulted now in the crucifixion of the world to his way of thinking, and he is now crucified to the world. I, I believe it's important that we try to do what we can to influence our culture, our society. I think it's important that we try to be a good influence. I think it's important that we are good examples in our community. But can I tell you this, that those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ will be confronted by the gospel in a way that is radical when we take on the approach that Paul says when he said, I am crucified or the world is crucified to me. What does that mean? 
It means he no longer sought after the things of the world as his primary goals in life. Here's the harsh part coming in. You, you, everybody buckled up and ready? You okay? What are the things that we idolize in our world? What are the things that we value more than anything else? I'm afraid for many of us, and I said us, not you, things like money, success, recognition, approval, attention, are the things that drive our existence. Paul said, those things have been crucified to me. There's nothing wrong with you having any of those things as long as they're not the primary goal of your life. Here's what I know about life. Whoever dies with the most toys still dies. And when you get to heaven, those things that we held so dear and that we put such value on in heaven will be seen for what they really are. Temporary. Lacking in value. We need to see the idols of this world for what they are. Pathetic, crucified, dying things. May I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus. Why am I talking about this today? Well, it's the last part of Galatians, and that's part of it. But I chose it today because it's also the power of missions is the cross. I can't motivate you to give based on, on my rhetoric. I can't even show you pictures and play sad music underneath it. It causes you to say, I want to help. Oh, maybe a little bit. But the only thing that will cause us to come to a place where we say, I commit my all to the advancement of the gospel is when we see the cross for what it is. It breaks everything else. God, deliver us from being cultural Christians who just go through the motions and we act nice and we don't kick the dog and we don't respond with harsh words, but we've never been changed by the power of the cross. A lifestyle of cultural Christianity is dull and dead and boring and will never attract unbelievers to commit their life to Christ. But when we come to the place where we have been transformed by the power of the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we truly become what Paul talks about here and what he says over in Corinthians, a new creation. It's my heart's feeling right now that some of you are looking at me like, what in the world is he talking about even? I try to pray over meals every day and do all the good stuff and even read my Bible periodically and do what I can. That's all good, but that's not it. It is a commitment of your life to the cross of Jesus Christ. And as you grow in that relationship, it will change everything about you. You know what the, the whole letter is all about. It's about 
the legalists, the Judaizers, as they're called, demanding that Christians be circumcised. And this is talking about Gentiles, non-Jewish people. They be circumcised as an outward expression of their righteousness with God. And Paul says, stop right now. And here's what he says. I love this. I love this approach. And I think it can apply to a lot of things in our life. Paul said, I'm not even going to take a side in the circumcision debate. Look at what he says there. Look at, look at, look at his reference. He says that, that, that whether you are circumcised or not, that's not even the issue. That doesn't even come into play. Look, look at it there. Verse, uh, which one is it there? Verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Have you ever noticed that when there's this kind of a debate going on, a lot of people like to pick their side and defend it to the hilt? Oh, I don't think that's right. Oh, I think I'm on the other side. Well, we're just going to agree to disagree. Paul says, look, it doesn't matter, yes or no. What does matter is have you been born again? Have you been made a new creation? You know, I think a lot of times in the church world, we argue about the trivial and we overlook the important. We're going to take communion in just a couple of minutes here, in a few minutes. And it's real easy to, to get all wrapped up in that, to think it has to go this way, that way. You have to use this thing or that thing. And if you don't get it exactly right, you're going to somehow miss the whole thing. And we get so concerned about the mechanics that we forget what it's all about. It's about Jesus dying on the cross. It's about creating within our hearts a sense of worship and gratitude for a Savior who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So it doesn't matter to me if you use oyster crackers or the styrofoam chip. Don't really like the styrofoam chip, but I'll take it because that's not the important part. Doesn't matter if it tastes good or bad. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we pass it in the, the gold-colored trays. COVID wiped those suckers out. Doesn't matter if you pick it up when you come in. Doesn't matter. What matters is that in your heart, you stop and you consider what God has done for you. And it grips your heart. Who cares if we go off with military precision and everything happens with just exact accuracy. If our hearts are not turned toward what Christ has done for us, we have failed. We get so caught up in debates. Paul says, I'm not going to take a side. It doesn't matter. Here's what matters. Here's what Paul tells us. Believers today, we're not Abraham's children in the flesh, unless you're Jewish here, and I don't know about it. We're not his children in the flesh, but we are Abraham's seed through faith in Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? And we've experienced a circumcision of the heart that is far more effective than physical circumcision. And because of that, neither circumcision nor the lack of it brings any consequences to God.
Paul is advocating a new birth experience through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. I know we, I've talked about this many times before, but do you realize how radical that statement is? He didn't simply say, you got to try a little harder. you got to do a little better. He said, you must be born again. Now, we've all heard that so many times. We go, okay, yeah, i got to be born again. But the first time he stated to Nicodemus, Nicodemus went, what? Are you kidding me? Born again? You want me to crawl back in my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, no, but what I'm talking about is so radical that it will change your life as if you were born again. It's not simply, well, I feel a little better. I've been transformed. I've been transformed by the power of the gospel. And may I never walk again in human flesh. Now, I understand physically we do that, but I'm talking about spiritually. May we never be influenced by the flesh. The cross, number three, rewards those who boast in it. There is a standard of living established when you put your faith in Christ and his work on the cross. So now we're getting, we're getting the horse in front of the cart like you're supposed to. Too many times people get the cart out front in front of the horse. That doesn't work real well. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. We put works on the front end, and if I get good enough, maybe God will forgive me and God will save me. And we're saved by works. That's getting at the cart in front of the horse. How many of you know that doesn't work too well? When you get the, the horse in front, what, what does that mean? It means this, that first of all, it's about repenting of my sins, putting my faith in the work of Christ, and then from that point, letting that be the, the, the power and the strength to do good things because I've been transformed. I can't do enough good to get there on my own. But the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ on the cross, his shed blood for us. And by the way, when he's talking about the cross, he's not talking about the physical piece of wood. He's not talking about, he's talking about what Christ did for us. When I put my faith in Christ, it will always produce good works. Always. Matter of fact, we were created to be zealous for good works. Self-sufficiency brings a curse, but obedience brings the law. Matter of fact, in Galatians 1, 8, and 9, Paul said, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you, the cross of Jesus Christ, faith in him. And he, goes, he says it again, I say again what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news, the one... You welcome, let that person be cursed. Obedience results in peace and mercy in your life. That's what, that's what Paul tells us right here. He says, for those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. See, when we walk in obedience, it brings blessing. We walk in freedom under the control of the Holy Spirit and in Christ, according to Ephesians, we are blessed, we are chosen, we are accepted, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we're given an inheritance, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been washed, sanctified, and justified. Somebody ought to shout. You couldn't get one of those things in your own effort, but in Christ, we get all of them. 
In him we have wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification. Faith in Christ makes you a new creature, and it places you in a new family and a new nation. Now we are part of the Israel of God. We are part of the nation of God, not physically by birth. And God has a plan for Israel and for the Jewish nation. But now, through faith in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. We have been brought in through faith in Jesus. You're not good enough to earn it. I'm not good enough to earn it. I can't maintain it with my works. But through my faith in Christ, I am saved. And through faith in Christ, he equips me for good works. Paul says here, he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Basically, he's saying, you guys that are the, the, the Judaizers, the legalists, knock it off. I'm tired of you. And he says, if you want to know what my foundation of authority is, he says, I bear the marks of Jesus in my body. What did that mean? Well, Paul told us in a couple of places of some of the suffering he had in Corinthians specifically. He talked about being beaten with rods and having stones thrown at him, being shipwrecked and all the things that he went through for the cause of Christ. Here's the question I have for you today. Do you bear the marks of Christ in your body? Probably none of us have suffered physically substantially because of our faith. Maybe you have. I don't know, but probably not substantially. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Can I be real blunt right now? That's a rhetorical question, just in case you weren't sure. Get over it. I've been hurt by a lot of people in a lot of different places. I could get hurt by somebody at the grocery store who's rude to me. I'm still going back. Can I get a witness? I'm not going to let some person drive me away from Christ. If I do, they become bigger than God to me. But what marks do you bear on your body? Methodist preacher named Maxie Dunham wrote this. I thought it was so powerful. I wanted to share it today as we conclude. He says, Paul, he claimed bearing the marks of Jesus on his own body. But what about me? What is my stigmata? At least this, Lord, listen to this, that I will be a sign of your presence to others. Your love through my love. Your forgiveness through my forgiveness. Your acceptance through my acceptance. That I will give unstintingly in hospitality to others. That my heart will be a place of welcome, open to every pilgrim or stranger who seeks a listening ear or an embrace of acceptance. Then I will enter into the pain and joy, the tears and laughter of others so completely that I will be one with them. And because I am one with you, that they will receive you, O Christ, from me. He goes on to say this, we may not be called to produce the marks Paul could produce, yet there may be marks which identify us. If we belong to Christ, we are branded. Within the shared life of the people of God, the stigmata is the fruit of the Spirit. 
And in that body, the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ is received and shared. Paul concludes this letter as he started it. Verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And he concludes by saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. I believe firmly and vigorously in the power of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And I believe the Holy Spirit is ministering right now, bringing truth to your heart, amplification to your ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I got to be honest with you. Every time I think I'm doing pretty good, I've kind of got things going the right direction. I read something like this, and it messes me up. And I say, oh, God, help me. Help me not to make the flesh the goal of my life. Who cares about external measurements? Who cares about accomplishments? If I'm going to boast, I will boast in the cross of Jesus Christ and that alone. Would you bow your heads with me all across the room? I'm going to make this pretty wide right now. It's not because I'm trying to water it down, but I'm trying to make it something that everyone can connect to. How many of you right now would join me in saying, God, through his word and through his spirit, has spoken to my heart today, and I receive what the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to me right now of areas of my life that need to, to be adjusted, changes that need to happen. With God's help, I will make those changes. Would you lift your hand with me all across the room? Lord, help us. Help us to follow you with pure devotion, with sincerity of heart, with authentic faith that clings to the cross.